honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, welcome to the uh, Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm Chandler Lahosky, and today we have Rumpke Dahan on the podcast today. How's it going? Oh, fantastic, man. Fantastic. Um, Rumpke is an absolutely dope dude. He's been uh, lived in Milwaukee his whole life, been in touch with the creative industry and um, worked in a lot of different industries. So just want to give a quick uh, background about yourself, Rumpke. Uh, yeah, so uh, native Milwaukeean. Part from the south side. Uh, I live on the east side right now, but uh, born and raised on the south side. Um, went through a program called Homeboys. It took uh, kids that were impacted by gangs, um, taught them technology, and have had a 21-year career in digital and advertising. All right, all right. Now, how did talk, talk a little bit about um, Homeboys and how you got started with that <clears throat> and, and grew that team? Uh, yeah, so I was, man, I was like 17 years old and, um, I was just kind of up to, to no good. And my mom and the local priest at, uh, St. Patrick's church were trying to get me into doing good things. And, um, they introduced me to Jim Hollow, who was the executive director of homeboys. And I was, uh, I was doing a lot of graffiti back then. So I, um, was really into art and my dad, was into computers, got me into computers. Um, and so it was kind of a nice marrying of, uh, creativity and technology. So, um, I, I was hooked right away. So got to learn basic HTML and, uh, graphic design and uh, motion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, did you have any interest in like those areas prior or was this like a completely foreign area to you? No, it wasn't, it wasn't that foreign. Like I said, my dad was super into technology okay. and when I was nine, he bought like a Tandy computer. We didn't really have much. And so he would always buy, like we'd buy the stereo with no speakers, <laughs> you know, and then like two months later buy the speakers. <laughs> um, but anyways, he bought, he got a Tandy computer and I learned basic on it. And, um, uh, you know, it, you could do things like type, type the screen to change the colors or make the keyboard a piano. And so I like try to combine the different programs. So I, I was really into it. It really kind of, it was like the seed that, that really sparked the interest overall. Definitely. Definitely. And like you've been involved in the creative industry for, for a while now you've worked for a variety of different ad agencies around Milwaukee. And mm -hmm. how, how was that transition from homeboys, which I imagine was a relatively small organization <clears throat> to, to all these bigger agencies? Um, I think the, the biggest transition was just the audience, you know, uh, at homeboys, you, I got to work with a bunch of ad agencies. Um, and I got to, we did things like build, uh, Trek bikes, um, accessories section to working with Northwestern mutual on their mint.org initiative that they had back in the day. So we had a lot of exposure, but we had a lot of support. And so when you went into an agency, um, it kind of, you dealt with the, uh, the stigma of being different, you yeah. know, and, and, uh, usually being the youngest, uh, but also like the only person of color in a room. And so, uh, there's a lot of times where it's just, you know, you get lost in translate translation or people just say kind of really ignorant comments to you. And sure. so, 
um, that was probably the biggest thing that I had to like really adjust and, and also call forward. Um, but, um, there was a lot of people in my, in, in, uh, in the industry who really kind of mentored me and guided me through, through all of that. So that was pretty cool. So how did you go about like persevering through, through all of that and all the ignorant comments and all, and all that stuff over the years? And um, I mean, you, you, I, I try to let the work speak for itself, you know, yeah. um, I wanted to be the best, you know, if somebody was going to, uh, I was doing a lot of like front end technology back then and a lot of design work. And so I was really pushing myself to, to learn. Um, I never stopped, uh, learning newer technologies or, or, um, you know, if, as soon as a new tech look would come out, I, I would try to comprehend it and then share it back with the team. And since I had a creative and technical background, I was really a valuable asset to the tech and creative teams. And so I think, you know, my ability to kind of navigate both waters, my ability to try to learn um, really kind of made me stand out a little bit. Yes. And having that hunger to constantly learning more and stuff. Right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't want the narrative of like where I came from and how I got there to be like the biggest part of it. I think it's important. That narrative is important for uh, people that are like feeling stuck. Mm -hmm. Then I love sharing that story. But if I'm in a room full of creatives, like I don't want that to be like, oh, this is the creative who, you know, came from this program. No, I didn't want that to be the story. I wanted my skills to be the, what came in the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. But that's like totally inspiring for, you know, and people that were in a similar position. Yeah. 100%. So, 100%. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then and how you made that transit transition from homeboys and your whole crew and whatnot to, um, something I found really profound with the, uh, you and the Obama administration and being an advisor for that. So how, how did you go about that? Like, what was that process? Like that's so. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I mean, my relationship with the Obama crew, I have a friend, um, Nick LeBlue, who was Obama's creative director. He actually worked with him at Razorfish. Okay. And, um, as everybody, uh, I loved Obama. I loved what he stood for. Um, I'm part Indonesian. So the fact that he grew, grew up partly in Indonesia was like a really special thing. Yeah, right. Um, but, um, but, uh, he, I would always bother Nick, like, yo, how can I be down? How can I do this stuff? And I got to work on his campaign in, uh, 2012 and I got to go to a couple of events in 08, um, because of, because of him. Um, but really, uh, what got me there was I uh, was working with a group here called RL Leaders, um, and they do work with um, counterterrorism in Hollywood. And so I did such a good job in that place that it led me all the way to having a conversation with the administration. And I, I wasn't I wouldn't say I wasn't like a, an advisor, but what I what I ended up becoming was a part of a group uh, called 18F. And 18F is, a, is essentially an organization that was created under the Obama administration to help government overall just solve um, digital problems. Okay. You know, after healthcare.gov took a nosedive, um, uh, there was a whole team of people that said, how can we fix this? How can we make it better? Um, and, uh, was born presidential innovation fellows, but that was a really short term. You can only be there for a year. And so 18F was a four year commitment or a, two years up to four years where, um, you could really kind of go in and, and make all these, uh, different impacts. So I got to do things like helping the EPA's hazardous waste infrastructure, um, to actually just helping AT, 18F kind of get their business model together, which is kind of cool. That's so wicked. That's yeah. Just how, just that transition of doing all this and getting, I don't know, and it seems like you've always had your, your hands in different areas and, and in Milwaukee and like right now, the, what the no hate project that you're working on, it seems like 
Yeah. So actually, so that was a project that was uh, created through RL leaders. So uh, we were we were doing these hackathons all over the country. We did one in LA with uh, the Muslim American Film Association, where we did a 48 hour um, like filmathon. Uh, we got all these directors. Um, the director of uh, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre, sure. uh, the the guy who uh, did all the effects for uh, Minority Report, the director of Pretty Woman, and me and uh, my friend Rachel, who owns Haven, were on this panel, and uh, we helped kind of guide uh, these filmmakers on creating narratives uh, against hate in um, kind of in the Muslim American. Um, fabric, you know, a lot of people perceive them in a different light. And so we were usually trying to kind of create that narrative. And so the second event was in New York and, um, we had another hackathon of creating ideas. And so that's where the idea was kind of born. Um, so it was actually born in New York, kind of funny, uh, but it was great because, uh, they funded, uh, the launch of the initiative. So really, um, you know, trying to continue the narrative of getting people to kind of have more of a center conversation, a lot of times, and this is both true on the left and right, like we, we have a stigma of the other side, you know, and we don't really understand or things get lost in translation. Um, and you know, how do you kind of break down the narrative? So it's it, in its core, it's real simple, you know, and so that you can have a conversation. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we launched our event, that's kind of exactly what we did. We got down to the human aspects of, 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 of who we are as people, um, to really look at, you know, what are our common grounds and how, how can we cross the line to kind of create more positive initiatives? That's, that's so awesome and much needed. Just that they have increased that dialogue between two, you know, both, both parties in the current political situation. I'm, you know, pretty strong headed one way or another and just opening that dialogue. Yeah, it's actually been, so, uh, we launched pretty, uh, pretty heavy, but I've, I haven't been as aggressive as I should be, but, um, we are going to pick it up back in the spring. Uh, but just the conversations that we've had out of it, um, has been really impactful. Uh, at the dinner at our launch, we had someone who's like a hardcore Republican to someone who's a a hardcore, uh, liberal, um, to someone who has a different, you know, kind of general orientation all at the same table, having a conversation. Um, and you know, people didn't realize their positioning until like 30 minutes into the conversation. And it really changed the dynamic because they didn't, they didn't approach the conversation in hate, you know, they kind of approached the conversation with empathy and dialogue. Um, and so, you know, the hope is to kind of continue those. And those are, those are just really kind of special moments that we're trying to create throughout the city. Yeah, absolutely. And having those like face-to-face interactions too, because so much like online, like you can't read tone and you don't, you know, you're kind of behind this anonymous field, like on the internet. And I think that those face-to-face interactions are so, so vital for, for, you know, increasing those dialogues. Yeah, 100%. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and then you're, you're also recently launched your media agency, advertising agency. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Eisner family. Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, Bill Eisner, uh, has had an agency for many, many years and, um, recently kind of decided to, uh, reposition his company that's been running for 60, 60 years. I mean, it was his dad's company and then became his, um, as, um, as the incendiary and really what the, the purpose of this is, uh, to look at our, our portfolio of clients and look at our brands, um, and potential customers and 
ask the question of, of what is your purpose and how are you sharing kind of the mission or your origin story? Um, and what do you stand for with your customers and how are you building those relationships? Um, I mean, we're all seeing like the, the conversation that like Gillette's bringing up or, uh, what Nike did, um, um, or even what Tom's has done over the years, you know, and really kind of building those relationships. I think Gillette is a really interesting conversation right now, but, yeah. um, that's all, all that's been the talk on Twitter for the past right. the past week or whatever. <laughs> right. I, I mean, so, but what, what you're seeing now is you're seeing all these organizations kind of putting a stance out there and, and trying to share what they, what they believe in. Um, you know, and if it comes out, it, it's a really, it's a really fine balance, right? You have to come out real authentic. Um, and you have to make sure that your entire organization follows that, not just from the words, but from, you know, the delivery of the product, from the pricing, uh, how you represent each, each demographic. Um, and so, you know, the purpose of our organization is to help brands do that. And, uh, it's, it's really good to see, um, you know, a company that, has, has changed its ways and is, is looking towards doing the service and asking me to join, uh, was really cool for them to, to kind of have me along for the ride. Yeah. So do you think moving forward, we're going to see more and more companies start to take a uh, strong social? Yeah. And we're going to see more and more dialogues like yeah. that. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, you know, all these different companies, I, I think the Gillette one is going to make companies question a little bit more, but I think that's all good. You know, like, um, people, people want to know what you're all about. You know, C customers are asking these questions. They're, they're not just buying things out of the whim because they like it. They're buying things to see, is this going to make an impact to society if I buy this in a negative way or in a positive way? You know, am I going to feel good about the purchase? Um, and you know, information is so cheap to get, you know, I can, I can quickly, Google search somebody and see what they, what they were all about and, you know, uh, quickly figure out if they're, if they're faking the funk or not. Yeah. And so, um, uh, if a consumer sees that it's easy for them to say, well, I'll go with a, a more, more trusted, you know, uh, brand because they align with what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that authenticity aspect of it is so, so important. And yeah, I mean, there's been surveys done by like Nielsen over the years saying that millennials and customers now are uh, looking more for brands that are involved with the social movements. So how do you think like companies can make sure that authenticity is there on point? Like I think Gillette, like you said, is a great <laughs> example of it. Yeah. I mean, so I've been, I've been really digging into to this conversation with Gillette um, and they have a couple of things, right? It was awesome for them to make that stance. Like the ability to say we were a part of the cultural thing of, um, I forget the best a man could get. Mm -hmm. And we're changing that narrative right now to adjust so that, you know, we are a part of the new narrative and the positive narrative. Yeah. Um, but there's so much about their product line that's been kind of put on blast on the internet. Like, that's great. But like, look at how you sell to women. Like you're still, you know, you're talking out of one side, but you're selling to women kind of in a not positive way. It's a more expensive product is the same thing. Um, you know, so, uh, it, it's cool for them to make that stance, but they really kind of have to look at their entire ecosystem. And, and I think that because they've never had that stance before, it's, it's, it's not like Nike, like Nike has always kind of had this, 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 um, youthfulness to it. They've always had this kind of rebellious feel to it. So for them to make that stance wasn't too far from, 
who out of, you know, wasn't sure. too far out of character. Yeah. Um, even though what Gillette did was, I think, super awesome. Like it was totally out of character. So how, how do they kind of adjust course so that they can continue to make that and yeah. that impact along the lifeline of their business. Yeah. I remember and, oh. I was going to say, and, and, and I think, you know, to answer your question, like companies just have to, like, if you're going to make a stance, you really have to look at your entire business model. Even us as an agency, like, you know, we've, it's challenged, um, who, who we are and ask the questions like, what are we doing wrong in our business? Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can do better. Um, so we can look, um, as authentic as we feel. And have you had like any inquiries since, uh, you know, Gillette and, and Dove and all these campaigns, like with your agency, have you had more brands reaching out to you and saying, oh, how can we, how can we do this? And yeah, we've had a couple brands, um, reached out. Um, you know, we actually haven't officially, uh, well, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll, we'll have officially launched, but, um, kind of the targeted conversations that we've had, um, we've had a lot of brands reach out on an interesting, um, kind of questions of, uh, them being excited that we're, we're doing this positioning, um, and, and really trying to have that larger conversation across the country, uh, with, uh, you know, what does purpose mean? And, um, uh, I've been really kind of, uh, we've been all excited about, there's a a group, a movement called conscious capitalism, um, that we've been really uh, building a lot of relationships with, but it's, um, it's just really cool to kind of be the new kids on the block in this space and, and figure out how, um, how we can position ourselves and hear the excitement. Uh, we're launching, uh, we have an event on February 5th in New York. Um, and then we're going to launch one in LA and DC. Um, so it's going to be pretty cool to, you know, have the conversation across the country and, um, continue to hear how people are getting excited about, about what's happening. Definitely. Can you talk more about like your launch events or those like under wraps or top secret for now? Um, well, they're, they're, um, they're, they're not top secret. Uh, they're, they're essentially, um, you know, we're, we're just throwing, uh, different events, uh, with kind of people in our community and people in the purpose community. Um, I, I we've partnered with, uh, fair share who is, um, run by a monster who's a former CEO of the guardian. Um, and then Julie Schaefer from uh, West Bank, which is a bank out of France um, for our event in New York. Um, and then we're partnering with um, our leaders, the group that I was mentioning before um, in L.A. And so, um, you know, it's really just our community that, that we've curated over the years. Um, and, and we're trying to just say this is what we're doing. Uh, you know, we've had conversations about this in this space, but let's have kind of a more curated experience where we're kind of leading and curating the the conversation and seeing where, where, where it lies with brands. You know, we, we're not trying to overly sell anything right now. We're just trying to, you know, get into the space and be real about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and what are some ways that you think in the future that like Milwaukee as a whole, like obviously these, you know, brand increase and all this and that activism, but how do you, what are some ways that you think Milwaukee can improve itself as a community? And I think, I think we are like, I'm so, I'm so excited about the stuff that's been going on. Um, it's, it's, it's really great. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I used to be like a super active member uh, <laughs> you're a busy man now you got a lot going on yeah and I also have four kids so like there'll be an event and I always like oh I can't because I have four kids you know like I can't can't go sorry um, and so I think the older I've gotten just like you know I have a change in priority I I, I can the more I, I, I can do with my business and with um, 
with my, my community and my family, um, it just changes. But, um, I mean, I think the, what folks are doing, what, what you guys are doing is super awesome. Just, just publicly having a narrative is important, you know, cause it's, it, it changes dialogue and it changes thinking. Um, I mean, what, what's going on at like, um, no studios, the Sherman Phoenix, I mean, Milwaukee's always kicking butt. Um, you know, what Grisela is doing at HPGM, like they, they, Nancy Hernandez just launched a Hispanic initiative for entrepreneurs. Um, there's a whole bunch of cool things that are going on that are starting to create more fire. I think, I feel like as a city, we're kind of stepping up a notch. Oh, totally. Um, you know, we're still the most segregated city. We still deal with a lot of racism. I mean, I, I, I have yet to go to a bar where somebody like has to bring up my ethnicity, you know, <laughs> we just at a bar a couple of week, weekends ago and yeah. somebody was like commenting on like the, the Asian countries that they've been to. And I was like, that's cool. But like, we don't have to talk about that just because yeah. I'm Asian, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, or, um, so, so I don't know. I, I that stuff is still around. Um, I mean, Milwaukee is an opportunity city, you know, it's not as big as New York. It's not as big as Chicago. I, you know, I think we have to kind of accept where we are and, um, but there's a lot of good things about it. You know, there's a lot of, uh, we have a really strong hustle and I think, um, anytime I've gone to like a bigger organization, uh, usually the people in leadership are from Wisconsin. Um, and, and I think it has to speak miles around our work ethic, you know? Um, and, uh, we, we don't play around with that stuff. So that's, that's probably, it's just applying that more into the city, which we are. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just great. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan to see the change. I'm excited about it. No, totally. And it seems like I've only lived in Milwaukee for going on five years. So not, not long at all, but it seems like in the past six months to a year, just the overall energy within the city and the amount of initiatives going on has just like dramatically increased. Is it, would you say that's true? Yeah. I mean, you gotta, there's a couple of people that moved away from, uh, Milwaukee that have moved back. I mean, I, I was kind of in and out of the city for the last five years between New York and DC. Um, but, uh, I have a friend, Mariam, who just moved here from New York. Um, the, uh, Mazorca Taco Chuy Jesus, like he, he was, uh, doing stuff in New York as a chef and moved back and Mazorca Taco was like, and he has this whole brand. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's cool to see like Grace Weber as, as much as she's blown up all over the place, she still comes back and like does things. So, um, even what's happening with no studio, like everyone's making a decision to come back and make some, some different impacts after kind of going out in the world. So, yeah. And they continue to like do national stuff and bring it back. Um, all that stuff is really great. Yeah, no, totally. It seems like there's a, I read an article a few days ago about like how a lot of people who moved out West to California or, you know, the rent is getting so high out there and all that they're, you know, moving back to the Midwest or for the first time moving to the Midwest. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the, the dynamic. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting narrative because like, I think one of the main reasons people come back is family. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're in the Silicon Valley, uh, most likely you're making, you know, eight or seven figures if you've been in the tech space for a while. So you're, you're not going to want to, <laughs> you know, you're not going to sure. want to move because you're not going to make that money here. Yeah. So the, the, the compensation kind of follows the cost of living. Um, but I really think like, you know, the, the, the family aspects, the, 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 the community is, is really what's going to drive. I, I think the, the cost of living, unless you're like a startup where I know a lot of startups have, have moved here because of the cost of living. But, um, as far as people that have been kind of situated in the industry and have created their own value, you know, that's, that's a narrative that's probably far away from, from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. 
Totally. And I think another big thing too is like for a long time, people are like, so hush, hush. They're like, oh, like I'm from Milwaukee. Like they don't, they're, you know, they're not proud about it. And and I think that's. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I have a no hate initiative, but I always say like for a while I hated Milwaukee. I hated like, I hated the racism. I hated like the, the oppression that was happening. Um, we're very business conservative city and it used to drive me nuts. You know, I used to not like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the narrative is changing and it's feeling, it's feeling a lot better, but I think we we just have to, like I said, we just have to acknowledge where we are right now. It's really important. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, where, where's the uh, best way that people can find you at my man? Um, let's see. So, uh, uh, you can find me on, on Twitter at Rumka, R-O-M-K-E. I love having such a unique name because as soon as like a new tech starts, I like always look for my first name, right? Go, yeah. uh, I also am like number one in Google if you search my name. <laughs> you got perks, dude. <laughs> yeah, so, so Rumka, R-O-M-K-E. Uh, I know it sounds different than what it's spelled, but that's just the Dutch phonetics of it. Um, on, on Twitter and then Rumka D on Instagram. Um, if you want to follow the new project, uh, thepurposedrivenagency.com is, is where we're at. Um, if you want to follow Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukeeans against hate, MKE, um, MKE, uh, no hate.com. So awesome. And lastly, what makes you a misfit, Ronka? What makes me a misfit, man. I'm like, I'm like the old, old, old guy in the scene now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like the old guy in the scene. I'm like the old guy in the scene that complains on the corner. (laughs) No. Um, I mean, I've always, I feel like I've always kind of just been honest about where my perception is, you know, like if I see something that's wrong, I'm going to call it out. Like I, I, uh, I come from a family of protesters and activists. So that's always been, um, a part of my narrative, you know? And so, um, um, I fight for the user. I'm like Tron. No. Um, you know, I, I want to see a segregation. I want to see um, the imbalance of wealth in the city uh, kind of removed. And, and I want to see us prosper. And so the more we can do that to be awesome, um, the better. So that makes me a misfit. Very wicked. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. And a lot of, a lot of, you're working on a lot of cool projects. So it'll be thank cool you. To, cool to see how all these uh, unravels and stuff. So. Cool. Awesome, man. Thanks. Thank you. All right.